there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you are having an awesome week. Hope that this is a great day, no matter what you're doing. Not sure if you're commuting to or from the office or from classes, but I hope you've got your caffeinated beverage on hand because it is time for yet another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is actually somebody with whom I used to work, and she and I would be burning the midnight oil at the U.S. State Department or off in Y River or in various locations around D.C., frankly, I think even around the world as we covered Mm -hmm. foreign affairs. And just one of the coolest ladies, the smartest and most wonderful journalist that you can come across in in your career, Kelly Wallace, is currently a correspondent and an editor-at-large for CNN Digital, focusing on family, career, and the all-important work-life balance. You'll see why it's more important as you get older. Kelly is an award-winning journalist who began her career at CNN and has also worked at CBS News and at iVillage as chief correspondent and executive director of digital video. Kelly's personal passion is all around women and girls and doing whatever we can to empower them and to help them live happy, fulfilled lives. And this is something that she does personally as a mom. She's got two beautiful daughters and, of course, in her professional capacity at CNN. Kelly, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you decaffeinated and ready to go? (laughs) All right. I am decaffeinated and ready to go. And I am so thrilled to be with you, Andrea. This is such a great idea. Um, so proud of you and happy to help any way I can. Oh, well, you are going to help lots and lots of aspiring journalists. I know that, my friend. Let us get right into what you do as mm-hmm. a correspondent and editor-at-large for CNN Digital. What are the primary functions of that job? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, my job is considered digital first, which means I primarily am first serving our digital platform, CNN.com, uh, as well as social, Twitter, Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, my beat now is a little more covering women and women's issues. And so uh, my pieces are often going to be appearing on CNN Money, uh, as well as pr- sometimes in our health section, uh, CNN Health. And so my job is to be thinking of covering, you know, these issues. What stories and and issues are there that will be interesting to the audience and that I want to do. Sometimes it's reacting to the news. You know, if there's some big, uh, during Me Too, of course, we had so many different issues that were coming up. So are there stories to do coming off the news? Or is it my own reporting and my own uh, story ideas that I want to generate. And then it may be done in a text form where it's sort of a written text piece that you would see across CNN's digital platforms. It might be a digital video that I would put together, uh, either going out and and interviewing people or appearing directly on camera and, and talking about that issue. And then I also 
will appear on air on traditional CNN or CNN sister network HLN. And often I'm going to be talking about either the news of the day that's related to my beat of women and women's issues, or it might be a story that I've done that we're then bringing to TV. So it takes on, or it may be a video I've done that we're going to bring a digital video that we're now going to bring to TV to the television audience of, of CNN and HLN. So it's wide ranging, but primarily it's, you know, covering this beat and either coming up with stories and video ideas for that beat or doing stories and, and videos reacting to news events that connect to my area of coverage. Kelly, could you take any story that you've done in the last several months mm-hmm. and break down the pieces that are involved in bringing it to air, whether it's the digital platform, whether it's CNN broadcast, whether it's social, it's probably all the above. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that question. And it is all of the above. I'll take one of my more recent stories, uh, and it kind of connects in a way to the Java junkies out there, which is a book which was put together featuring uh, women of all ages and from different walks of life writing letters to their younger selves. And the exercise is a way to try and inspire confidence on the part of girls. We know that confidence on the part of girls often dips a lot during and after adolescence. So, and I happen to participate a little bit in the book and know uh, the people that are connected to the book because of this women's conference. I do. So the first step is pitching the idea because it's a little different. It's not totally in the news. So the first step is writing up a good pitch about why should CNN Digital be interested in this story. So there is, you know, I have to write up a pitch talking about girl confidence and how it goes down during puberty and giving some numbers there. It was part of my pitch as well as an opportunity to showcase some other people in the story. So that's one. Then once I get the green light, then it's, okay, who am I going to talk to for this story? I talked to this woman, Donna Orender, who's a former president of the WNBA, who was the, you know, it was the brain, it was her idea. She was the brain child of this project. So I did an interview with her. Then I reached out to a couple of women who shared letters for the book and I interviewed them as well. So I'm doing all these interviews. I'm thinking of the questions to ask them, such as why did they want to do this? What do they hope? young women and girls get out of it? Uh, what what did, did it have an impact on their lives by doing this? And then because it's going to be a text piece, there's a visual component, which is, okay, what elements for the piece do we want? So we wanted, we wanted to embed some of the artwork from the book including some of the letters that women wrote. We wanted to come up with an image that we would use at the top of the story that would tease, we call it a tease card image, you know, which would tease the story uh, across CNN Digital. So someone would look at that story with a headline such as, you know, one way to boost girls' confidence or what would you write to your younger self? So that's another element. We also want to often add a video element. And I had done a, a video piece a couple of months ago talking to boys and girls, young, you know, elementary school age, about about gender stereotypes and how uh, they take hold and take form at young ages. So we put that video attached. And then once the piece is written, I'm writing it and reading it and editing it a number of times, it will go to two different editors. It'll get a first edit by one editor or producer, and then it goes to another. They're looking for both factual mistakes and things that don't make sense. They're also raising questions about any assumptions I might make. They may be shortening it. They may be making it punchier. And then after all that, it gets published. But then your word continues because then what you want to do is try and make sure it gets to be seen by as many people as possible, using it, posting it on your own social media channels, encouraging CNN to be posting it on Twitter and Facebook for CNN. And this case, I did pitch it, but didn't 
get traction, but also potentially pitching it to my TV colleagues, such as at HLN, and say, hey, how about a segment on this issue? So as you can see, there are many, many steps of the process, both from the start of the idea to fully executing uh, that idea and, and seeing it grow. It's not just once it hits publish, you've got to kind of keep pushing it and, 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 and uh, promoting it mm. so that it gets to be seen as by as many people as possible. So while you're doing that, are you working on other stories at different stages of production? And how long from the moment that you conceived of the idea and wrote your pitch to the moment that they hit publish on that written content, or I should say the digital content, did that right. take? I mean, for sure, you're always working on uh, so many stories at once. It's kind of one of the other things I really do love about the job. So when I'm writing the pitch for this story, I'm not always going to get the answer immediately back. So I'm also uh, either if it's a day where I'm really sort of looking up, you know, building story ideas, I may be going through some previous stories I've marked or calling up some people who I've said I've wanted to do a brainstorm call with. So that may be part of it. Or I may be in the process of doing phone interviews or video interviews for another story, or I may be in the process of writing another piece. So you definitely are often going to be juggling a few different stories at any one time. Obviously, you prioritize. And if it's a what we call a day turn, right, if it's a piece that I'm doing that definitely has to be done that day, that's going to take priority over a feature or an enterprise piece that doesn't or an evergreen story that doesn't necessarily have to run at a certain time. So you're constantly doing a lot of stories at once, you're prioritizing. And then in terms of the timeline, you know, it really does depend. I sort of put an eight hour block of time that I often think from the conception of a story to the interviewing process, to the listening to the interviews, to the writing, to the producing it with pictures and video, to the editing process. For me, I sort of feel like it is an eight-hour time frame. It could be eight hours on the same day, or it could be over a period of time, again, if that story doesn't necessarily have to run at that moment. And in terms of video, I, I would sort of say it's a similar thing. You know, if it's a story, I did an interview with Serena Williams not too long ago, which was amazing. She's amazing. And it was pretty much on financial abuse, the financial abuse aspects of domestic violence. It was not a story that had to be up that day. It wasn't as if she talked about being in Wimbledon or, you know, she made dramatic news. But it is a story that we wanted to get up pretty quickly because she was going to be competing in Wimbledon in a few a few days or so. So that might be a process where the producer and myself will listen to the interview, um, will pick out the best nuggets that we like. The editor will put that, string that together. We'll take a look, add some pictures or, or other graphs, and then it could be out. So it could be a matter of a day if it, it needs to be, or it could be a, a day or two, depending on time frame. But you know, things move quickly. There's not a lot of, uh, as you know firsthand, it's not as if uh, things are sitting there and you have nothing but time on your hands to get them out. It's, it's, it's moving. The process is moving at all times and moving fairly quickly. Kelly, do you think if someone is challenged in the area of multitasking or compartmentalizing, they should maybe think twice about going into the field, into especially this kind of a super fast-paced 24-7 part of journalism? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know the full answer. I do think they should think about it to understand that it isn't exactly a profession where, you know, if you're someone who really needs to have silence and not be bothered and, you know, get in your zone to write for four hours and 
that's the only way you can execute what you need to execute. It, it is something to think about because it's very, very unusual to have that kind of system in any aspect of our profession, whether you're uh, an associate producer, a producer, uh, a writer, a reporter, it's just constantly changing. And you may be on track. I've had many a day where I'm really excited to get this story done. And then there's breaking news, right? And then it's all hands on deck. Or you uh, often, when I was doing parenting, anytime there'd be a tragedy, we'd often sort of pivot and try and look at that tragedy on from parents' perspective. So it's like, how do you talk to your kids about this or whatever? So there we all go. So I do think you have to be aware of that. And if it's something where you like to work on your own, you like a stress-free environment, you like to have all the time you need to get something done, it may not be the right place. But the only reason why I want to sort of hedge it is we need all kinds of people in our business. We need all kinds of thinkers. We need people who have different life experiences. And I don't want to lose someone who might look at an issue a different way because he or she takes a little bit longer to get to that point just because our business is so fast and we can't have that kind of person. So I, I, I think they should think about it. But I, I want to make sure that we have a business where we, we can take all kinds of thinkers and work because it's going to be better that way. Personally, I did struggle with that. And eventually what I fell into was wearing some kind of earphones. Right. And especially, you know, when we were traveling and we would be in a, a big room with 25 journalists who were using the phone and talking and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. That was a way that I was able to block out some of the noise and just listen to some music as a way to kind of get into my zone when I needed to write. Exactly. But, exactly. Um, yeah. Kelly, you have alluded to this, but you haven't explicitly spoken about sourcing. And yes. how have you over the years, depending upon the beat that you were on, cultivated sources? And, and maybe just explain a little bit about the value of them. Right. Well, I mean, the value, uh, your sources are everything. I mean, if you're on a beat, let's say the White House, I you know, was lucky to cover the White House for a couple of years. And now it's a totally different White House. And, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a different ballgame in a lot of ways. But back when I was covering, I covered the last year or so of the Clinton administration and the first two years of the Bush administration. It's not as if, you know, White House officials just come out and hand you what's happening. I mean, yes, there is the briefing of the day, but that often is a way to sort of answer a lot of different questions at one time. And, and of course, give a little handle on what the president might be doing that day or some big issues. But to know what's going on behind the scenes, to know the thinking that went into a certain policy to know, you know, why the president chose this person for a certain position, to know who's in, who's out, to know before a big trip, what are the, the key takeaways uh, that, that show success or failure. You have to be talking to people. You have to be talking to sources. I mean, it may be the toughest beat, but it's also, you know, the most important beat when it comes to sources, because that's really the way you're going to get your information. And in terms of cultivating them, you know, I'm, I'm I think just like you, Andrea, I, try to be authentic and straight and fair. And, you know, when you first start on the beat, it's, you know, trying to meet as many people as possible and have coffees with them and listening with them. And, you know, they have to develop a trust with you that if they tell you something is off the record, and for our Java junkies out there, if someone at the White House told me this was off the record, there was no way I, Kelly Wallace, could go in front of a camera and say, CNN has just learned, blah, blah, blah. That was not for reporting. It was for my own understanding 
understanding of, of coverage and maybe it would help in some way to understand where this where the story was going. But, you know, that could not be reported. So your sources start developing a trust to know that they can give you information or if they give you information on background, it means that I could report it but I can't indicate where it came from. Or there's some ground rules, like you could say, it was a senior administration official who gave me this information, just not giving the name of that person out. So I think that your sources then develop a trust in you. Um, I think they watch your work and kind of get a sense of how credible you are and how thorough and how fair. And that does lead to uh, more sourcing and more um, information. It's everything. And I think reputation is so key in our business. And I think that's the other thing that you you develop with your sources. You know, if you develop a reputation as someone who's trusting, they can trust, who's fair, who's thorough, uh, intelligent, uh, takes the time to go the extra mile, uh, they will appreciate that. And they will then often give you more information to use in your stories. Absolutely. And I have to say, I found it challenging, especially when we were both covering the State Department to build those yeah. relationships because sometimes you had to be at work at 6am or 7am and you wouldn't finish until 9 or 10 or even later at night. How did you cultivate sources and meet them for a cup of coffee or I mean, the luxury of a lunch, I think, wasn't that common. But how did you do it, Kelly? And how do you? Do yeah, it? It, it's a great question. I think I do. I do a better job of it now. I think, um, just as you were saying, because I do think that I'm a little bit more mature about how much time it takes and how going to a coffee with someone. Or uh, often people will ask me, "Oh, can you do a?" you know, a, a conversation with someone who's in town. And often I'm thinking, well, I don't really necessarily need to talk to this person because I'm not necessarily working on any story. But I never turn down those opportunities because you just never know. And they will be good contacts for stories, for story ideas down the road. So I think I'm much better about it. And I devote more time and prioritize it more. I think when I was younger, and also when I was starting out at the White House, just like you, you know, you'd be in at six, and you wouldn't leave till, you know, eight o'clock at night, never lunch, no, no time for coffee. So most of those conversations were made on phone, by phone, or meeting them, you know, either at the briefing room or on trips where you might have a chance to at least have some more face-to-face -face contact. But I don't think I built in enough time then and it would have been a better um, thing to do. But I was just just like you up against the wall with, you know, live shots and packages and um, had to do what I could in terms of phone and then the proof of my work and my word to develop those contacts. Kelly, one final question before we get into your time as an undergrad, that is storytelling. How have yes. you kind of fine-tuned your writing for broadcast versus your writing for blogs? And what tips do you have to offer Java junkies in terms of how to be a better writer for vlogging or videos that you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, and this is really important, I think, for the Java junkies out there for as they vlog and, and do videos, I think that the internet and digital video has made it a more personal platform. And um, and I think that certainly when I started in the business, I, I think my sense was, you know, I am here to tell the story and I can never show any personal connection to the story or, I, you know, I am just going to be the communicator of the facts. And, and that's, that's what it is. And I think now um, I very much am comfortable. I mean, I feel like the sweet sauce for me in a story is where if I can take, especially if I'm talking about women and girls or modern parenting, I can 
can add a little bit of my personal connection to that issue as a mother of two girls. And so I sort of go there. It's not all about me by any stretch of the imagination. So, But if I show my audience a personal connection to that, and then I do the interviewing with everyday women or men who are also connected to that, and then talk to experts and do you know the, the journalism, I think I'm putting together a more interesting story that's also more relatable. So I've found myself to be a little looser and also authentic and not being afraid. And I'm, I'm thankful at CNN, I sort of feel like I've been given that opportunity to not not to be afraid to say, you know, I experienced this or actually I, I questioned that or I, I, I had a hard time with this as well. And in digital video, I think there is that little bit more, sometimes you're just talking straight to camera. It's a little more conversational. I think that the, the four Forum, you know, of the platforms allow that. And so I think that's sort of where we've all evolved in, and I've certainly evolved in my storytelling that way as well. Wonderful. Yeah, you can just let your personality come through. And, and I think that's what totally. makes people connect with you, Kelly, especially. So yeah. let's, let's talk about your time as an undergrad at UPenn. You went yes. to the Wharton School and got your BS. Yeah in economics and finance. And we should also tell our job junkies that Kelly was magna cum laude. I mean, oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. I, I, uh, credentials I for you, but even, thank you. even more like awe. I'm in more awe of you than I was before because my goodness, that is no easy feat. Did you know what you were going to do with the degree, Kelly? No. I mean, I I love to tell this story because I also think this will help um, anyone out there. It's not always, and I would say more often than not, it's not a straight shot. You don't start college and be like, I'm going to be X and then you graduate and then you go be X and you have this career where you're X for the rest of your life. I mean, that is so uncommon. And for me, my dream, no question was when I started was to be a reporter. But the dream felt like a dream. I joke with people. It felt like, you know, winning American Idol or, or becoming a, fig, a gold medal figure skater, which I joke that I'd still like to do. But obviously, uh, the chances are not high in that regard. So to me, that was like the dream gig. But I didn't necessarily think that I could actually do it. And I was good at math. I mean, I got sort of zero direction. And I went to Penn and I honestly did not realize that there were separate admissions processes for the um, processes for the undergraduate business, undergraduate engineering, undergraduate nursing and college of arts and sciences. I think I thought you got into Penn and you then could pick which school you wanted to get into. So you could just see that I was not uh, had as much direction. And so Wharton was more, well, I'm good at math and I guess maybe I'll go into business. And about midway through my uh, Wharton career, it was very clear, no, I did not want to be Wall Street on Wall Street. I I got a C in speculative markets. I remember my professor there. He was great. He would always be like, uh, Miss Wallace, anything to add? And I said, no, nothing to add. And I just thought, there's no way. There's no passion for me here. I have no connection to this. And um, that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to try. I didn't think I, I didn't have the guts, I would say. And this is another thing I try to tell people is, is go for it. I didn't go for it then. I just knew I wanted to be in news. I, I didn't think I could go off and be a reporter right away, but I knew I wanted to work in the news profession. So from that point on, I took every uh, non-Wharton requirement um, I could. I took in the College of Arts and Sciences in terms of English and political science and sociology. And I loved all those courses. Um, I do joke that most of my contemporaries who graduated Penn and went off from Wharton to Wall Street are retired now and um, have major foundations where they're supporting... (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, you know, why I didn't do that and then come to journalism, you know, 20 years later, that might have been a good way to go. But no, no, that was not going to be for me. So I got the degree. I mean, I uh, was already on track for that with a major in finance, but I very much then got out of school and was looking for entry level jobs in the news and journalism profession. I will say this also to your listeners that, you know, it was a hard, very hard to get that first job. And I needed to live at home. I didn't have any money. I'm from New York City and living home at Brooklyn. So I had to find a job in New York City. But companies were very interested in my Wharton resume and my finance. And so I was getting interest from the business side of television and ultimately took a job on the business side of television as a first job doing marketing research for companies that would basically represent stations around the country to national advertisers. I did that for about a year or so and thought, no, 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 this is not right. I know I want to go pursue a, a journalism job. And so I ultimately you know, did that. But it just is interesting to tell your listeners, A, that it always sort of you don't set off in a path and it, it all works out. And interestingly, you know, sometimes your employers are, are interested in different aspects of your educational background. And those sometimes could help you in different ways than you realize. So how did you get that first job out of school? So I, um, I saved my money saved up my uh, as much money as I could, moved to Washington, D.C., again, very interested in politics and wanted to be uh, in national news if I could, and had a friend. It's always great to have a friend who has a couch. <laughs> uh, my friend, Abby Cohen, had a couch. Let me sleep on that couch for as long as it takes. And I, I think this is important, too. The, and so I was looking for an entry-level production assistant job in television. The first job offer I got, I couldn't afford to take. I, it was going to be working over overnights, you know, from 11 p.m. to 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, production assistant for a morning business show. The job sounded amazing. I really wanted to do it, but I was going to make so little money that I was going to have to have another job, you know, kind of like a nine to five job uh, during the day to help pay, you know, may, pay my rent. And I just couldn't do that. Like, I just thought there's just no way um, I could do that. And so I held out a little longer. And then ultimately, I got another production assistant job, this for a weekly syndicated business show, which was then produced out of the um, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The salary was a little better. Uh, I didn't have to take another full-time job. And I did that. And so that sort of launched me. And then I was doing that for about a year. And people said, hey, there's an opening at something called CNN. <laughs> and I, to your listeners, it's too funny to think about. There was a time when people didn't know what CNN was. This was 1990. CNN had been around for 10 years, but it still was not like it is today. And sure enough, there was an associate producer job available. And um, I interviewed and had to take like a little public affairs test and did all kinds of stuff and had someone giving me a recommendation. And I, I got that job and that I think really did launch me um, from there in my CNN and news career. Kelly, I just want to go back to your time at Penn and ask uh -huh. you if there were any other activities that you were involved in, whether it was internships, whether it was clubs or anything on campus that in hindsight, you think, hmm, actually, that really did help me when I was out pounding the pavement. 
that I had that experience. Definitely. Well, uh, yeah, two things. One, um, I worked on our campus television station. Uh, I think it was called UTV, UTV News. And so I would help put packages, news packages, more feature stories and, and whatnot together. And that was just great experience. It was super fun. And I think what's important, you, you know, your audience, it reinforced that notion for myself that this is what I want to do, that I want to have a, a career where I'm involved in storytelling in this way, and in particular, television storytelling. So I did that for a couple of years. I think it was like my junior, senior year, but definitely a couple of years. And then internships. I had an internship at our local news, one of our local affiliates in New York City, W uh, Channel 4, the NBC affiliate. And I was on the assignment desk and I was answering phones, but I went out uh, with some reporters on stories. And again, it just made me say, this is what I want to do. And I guess I should say, actually, to show you an how much in high school this is really something I wanted to do, but did still feel like a dream. My like senior counselor, his wife, uh, Shelly Strickler, a longtime radio news correspondent in the local New York City market. And I shadowed her for a day as she covered City Hall during, I think, junior or senior year. And I just loved it. So I think that I, I can't stress enough how important it is both if you can do stuff on campus or do internships off campus, summers, you know, winter breaks, spring break, whatever, because you really do see, A, is this something you'd really want to do? And you also see what different aspects of the business there are or the field there are. And for me, the reporter, the, you know, the one gathering the news and, and putting the story together and, and reporting it, that was definitely the, the area that I wanted to uh, pursue. Oh, gosh, I... I remember doing similar things and just feeling uh, so excited about it. So just drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Kelly, one of the things that I try to do with all of my guests is ask them to share a story of a particular moment. And for some, they're like me, there have been many moments over the course of their professional life and and you too, when there was a, a low patch whether it was a challenging boss, whether it was having for personal reasons, there may be something else going on in your life. With some of my guests, they've been fired. I personally also have uh, have been fired. But mm-hmm. a time when you really had to dig deep and take a deep breath to get up and keep plodding ahead and come through the other side. Yeah, I mean, I I feel that there are so many um, stories. I don't know how long your your uh, interview can go, but no, I mean, there are a number um, of for sure. And the you know the one that when you when you were doing that intro to the question, I sort of consider it one of my toughest moments. Was a tough boss. It happened to be a woman in this world where we talk about oh, are, you know, can men be tougher on women or women tougher on women? Uh, you know, who knows? But this was a case, and it kind of justified. You know, it it, it didn't make sense. Like there was nothing that I did to cause this. I mean, it wasn't as if I acted inappropriately. It wasn't as if I was doing badly at work. I mean, I was doing all the right things. You know, you have these experiences where you just feel like someone doesn't like you is you know, potentially out to get you. But I was, I felt it. I felt a little bullied. I didn't feel supported. And I don't want to go into great specifics, but I was, you know, doing a, a pretty high profile, important job at that time. And so to not have support was very 
very hard. I'm a big believer in therapy. I've been in therapy a number of times in my life. And at that time, I was really spending time because I was trying to understand how, why is this happening? And how is this, what did I do? And I, you know, really got to understand that that person, for whatever reason, has, and it was in this case, it was a woman, her own issues, her own stuff. Uh, I didn't cause it. I can't fix it. Mm. But what I can do is just, you know, really try to take good care of myself. So in those periods, I would both take care of myself myself outside of work. But when I was at work, you know, really finding the support of my immediate colleagues who were uh, supportive, my fellow journalists in other ways, and ultimately then looking forward to think I can only do this for a certain period of time and then starting to plant seeds for my next step so that I could take ownership and I could chart my course and go on and find a, a new new path and a new opportunity and have that, you know, hopefully supportive environment. And I guess the important message is to your your listeners is we're all going to, you, many of you probably will have that from time to time, right? Whether it's a boss or you get fired or, you know, you have such a setback where it's so hard to keep going. And I can't stress enough the importance of talking to people, whether it's your colleagues, your family, uh, therapists, and understanding that, you know, you can control your what you do and then focus on, on, on making that path best path for yourself and understanding that you can't change the way people are and, and fix them in some in some capacity. So uh, yeah, anyway, that was a hard one. And I'm sure um, for all of us, you know, there are many different hard paths that you're going to encounter. But the key is taking care of yourself and not letting that set you back, right? And not yeah. letting that have you raise questions about why am I doing this? Or maybe I should oh, do yeah. something else. No, you know, really have a good conversation with yourself. Like if this is what you really want to do, then you buy God keep doing it. And if you do it well, then you keep doing it well and take care of yourself and, and find the support that you can find uh, in your situation or in a new situation that that was important to me at that time. Yeah. And Kelly is far too much of a lady to say this, but there are a lot of fucked up people out there and especially in this industry. And you just the reality of it. And Kelly, thank you so much for sharing that. I think a hundred percent, 150 percent, I agree with you. You have to just recognize that there are these people that you're going to come yes. across and make sure that you don't bring that negativity in. Try to keep it on the surface. You got to deal with them and do negotiate and try to figure out how you can get away from them and maybe get into another, hopefully you don't have to leave the company you're with, but whatever right. it is, right? Like try to get away from them, but but in the interim, don't take it in. Yeah, I you know you you just said I think well a there's as you said there's so many screwed up people in this profession, but in in a lot of professions, so you know that's uh, for sure. But you said that sense of the negativity, I, and and we've talked about this too via email and on the phone. Positivity is so important, and that's in the you know for my situation, right? I don't have to let that negativity bring me down. I can yeah. focus on positivity and my kind of sense of, you know, moving forward and how to, you know, live the life I want to live. And I do think that's very important. You know, don't kind of let that be the narrative, you know, let, let yeah. it, you don't let it suck you in and, um, and you can find, find a way forward. Absolutely. Kelly, final time for coffee question. If you could go back to Penn and do it all over again, based on the wisdom yeah. that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? 
I would not go to the undergraduate Wharton School of Business. No offense to that school, which is amazing. I would be a uh, full liberal arts major in the College of Arts and Sciences, maybe political science or English or history. And I would work, funny enough, I would work at the school paper, the Daily Pennsylvanian. While I love that I worked then at the television station, I don't know. I, I, I just think a lot of places, including at Penn, you know, our school paper is so fantastic. And and that experience of working on a college newspaper and and really having that experience of reporting and telling stories would have been amazing. And and the other thing is more of a like sort of big picture is not being so worried about how it's all going to work out, right? That's a little bit of what I wrote in my letter to myself in this book recently that relax a little bit, get exposed to as many things as possible. There's plenty of time and you are going to figure it out. And so for your listeners out there, it's stressful. Oh my God, college is hard. And But take the time to experience things and new classes and take risks and you're going to figure it out and you're going to find your path and it will work out. It will, right? It will. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 180% agree with yeah. you, Kelly. You are such a delightful, amazing, beautiful person inside and out. Kelly Wallace, mm. CNN correspondent, extraordinaire, mother, wife, friend, all of the above. Thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. I love talking with you. Oh, I loved it, Andrea. Thank you for having me, for doing this, for starting this mission. It's really a mission and a calling. It's going to help so many people and I'm thrilled to be part of it. And as you, you'll post my info, but I'm happy to help anyone who has any further questions uh, or who wants to talk more uh, over coffee. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.